Welcome to the Teaching and Lectio podcast for the Abbey, a contemplative vineyard church in Columbus, Ohio. You can find previous teachings and our contemplative reading of the scriptures on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or on our website at theabbeycolumbus.church. There, you'll also find important announcements, along with the location and time of our all-church gatherings and community groups throughout the city. The Abbey is committed to being a church that helps people notice and nurture the work of God in their own lives, in the lives of others, and in the world around us. Here's this week's message. So this morning our passage is from Acts 14. Then some Jews came from Antioch and Iconium and won the crowd over. They stoned Paul and dragged him outside the city, thinking he was dead. But after the disciples gathered around him, he got up and went back into the city. And the next day, he and Barnabas left for Derbe. They preached the gospel in that city and won a large number of disciples. And then they returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch, strengthening the disciples and encouraging them to remain true to the faith. We must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God, they said. Paul and Barnabas appointed elders for them in each church, and with prayer and fasting, committed them to the Lord in whom they had put their trust. And after going through Pisidia, they came to Pamphylia. And when they preached the word in Perga, they went down to Italia. From Italia, they sailed back to Antioch, where they had been committed to the grace of God for the work they had now completed. And on arriving there, they gathered the church together and reported all that God had done through them and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. They stayed there a long time with the disciples. The word of the Lord. Would you pray with me? Ah, God, we put ourselves before you this morning. We know that you care for us, and we ask that you would be with each one of us this morning. You would let us hear what we need to hear, and that we would encounter your presence here in the midst of your people. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. So Kate Bowler is a professor of American religious history at Duke Divinity School. She wrote the first book-length history of the prosperity gospel, slightly tongue-in-cheek titled, Blessed. And the prosperity gospel is a religious movement based upon the central claim that God will give you everything you want in this world. Money, health, family, happiness. It's a stream of American religion that promises that with only enough faith, everything will go right. And for Kate Bowler, though she never would have described herself as a proponent of the movement she studied, everything was going right. She graduated from Duke with a PhD and was immediately offered a tenure-track position at one of the top-ranked divinity schools in the U.S. And for those of you far outside the academic context, that's a really big deal. She was married in her 20s, she had a baby as her 30s started, and she had her dream job, 
She was hitting every career milestone and sitting high on the rush of publishing an acclaimed academic book. And then in 2015, two years after her book is published, at age 35, she's diagnosed with metastatic stage four colon cancer. Here's how she wrote about this experience in her book, Everything Happens for a Reason and Other Lies I've Loved. One moment, I was a regular person with regular problems. And the next, I was someone with cancer. Before my mind could apprehend it, it was there, swelling to take up every space my imagination could touch. There was a before, and now there was an after. Now, anyone who has lived in the aftermath of something like this knows that it signifies the arrival of three questions so simple that they seem in turn too shallow and too deep. Why? God, are you here? And what does this suffering mean? Why? God, are you here? And what does this suffering mean? Now, the irony of being a historian of the prosperity gospel who's now experiencing the exact opposite of prosperity is not lost on Kate Bowler. For a while, she looked like she could be an exemplar of the movement she studied, and then the floor drops out from her life. And so we're in the midst of a sermon series on the kingdom of God, what the kingdom looks like, how it comes. We've been looking at different ways to understand this kingdom and how this kingdom comes in our lives. And the prosperity gospel that Kate Bowler studied had one set of answers to what the kingdom looks like, and her Mennonite faith had its own set of answers too. But when the cancer diagnosis comes, Kate Bowler's only left with questions. Why, God, are you here, and what does this suffering mean? So now I'm going to set aside Kate Bowler in the midst of all of her questions, and I'll pick it back up again. But it's time to turn to our story from Acts that I just read. It's a passage that picks up right in the middle of the action of the story, and it's a story caught up in the action of the book of Acts that we've been looking at over the past nine, ten months. So maybe some of you have been reading along, but if not, as a quick recap, the book of Acts begins with the powerful outpouring of the Spirit at Pentecost. Now this small group of disciples who are huddled together in fear and confusion, trying to figure out what it means that Jesus died and was resurrected, that place doesn't seem like the ideal place to start a movement working out the kingdom of God, the reign of God on earth. But suddenly the disciples find themselves empowered by the Spirit, encountering God in ways they could have never imagined. Peter preaches and thousands turn to follow this Messiah. And later we see miraculous encounters and healings one after another, and it feels as if everything is going right. The disciples' faithfulness is being rewarded. The gospel is spreading. The kingdom feels like it's going to be here really soon. And sure, there's been some troubles along the way, some disagreements among the body, some antagonism from outsiders, but even Saul, who was their biggest persecutor, has been miraculously converted, and now he's going around preaching the good news too. The promise of Jesus that they would be his disciples, 
in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth feels like maybe it won't be that hard after all. What can stop this spread of the Spirit? And even just before the passage that I read for today, there was a miraculous healing of a man who had never walked, and the crowds are overwhelmed with praise of Paul and Barnabas and are ready to worship them as gods. Revival is happening. Lives are being transformed and everything is being made new. And these kind of stories are what we hear even today when we imagine what it would look like for the kingdom of God to come. We look for success, we call it anointing, and we look for where things are going well. And those things that are going well are worth celebrating and remembering. The supernatural is moving among us And as a church, we're part of this movement called the Vineyard, which falls in the charismatic stream of the church, where we love to tell stories about how God showed up in the midst of those who earnestly seek him. But sometimes, if we're not careful, it's really easy for those stories to sound like beautiful people encounter God, and then their lives get even more beautiful. But in Acts, there's a parallel story that runs along this story of triumphalism. It's the story of hardships, of trials, of suffering. The followers of Jesus have suffering at every turn along the way. Following Peter's preaching at Pentecost, he's put on trial. After healings, they end up in prison. After Stephen is appointed among the deacons, the crowd gathers and throws rocks at him until he dies. After Paul's conversion, so many people wanted to kill him that he had to be let down from the wall of the city in a basket. Each step of the way, as the disciples proclaim the kingdom of God, they are surrounded by hardship. They are attacked on every side. And I imagine from their perspective, it didn't feel very triumphant. I imagine there were days when they might have been growing doubtful of their ability to recognize the kingdom of God when it was coming. And just as a preview for the future, as we move past Acts 14, it doesn't really get any better. Here's how Paul describes his life as an apostle in 2 Corinthians. Are they ministers of Christ? I'm talking like a madman. I am a better one with far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless floggings and often near death. Five times I have received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I received a stoning. Three times I was shipwrecked. For a night and a day I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys, in danger from rivers, danger from bandits, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers and sisters, in toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, hungry and thirsty, often without food, cold and naked. And besides these other things, I am under daily pressure because of my anxiety for all the churches." That's quite a list. And Paul's, Paul's trials were not that out of the ordinary for the followers of Jesus. 
Church tradition holds that 11 of the 12 apostles died violent deaths in persecution while John died exiled alone on Patmos. But it seems that somehow, in the midst of this persecution, the disciples learned something about the kingdom of God. They learned that the kingdom of God often, or maybe even usually, doesn't look triumphant. It doesn't look how we would expect success to look. Instead, there's something about the kingdom that only comes through hardship. So that's our sermon for this morning. The kingdom of God comes through hardship. Which brings me back to our passage for today from Acts 14. Paul and Barnabas had arrived in Lystra, and through them God healed a man who had been unable to walk. Now many of the people of the town were amazed, and Paul began to preach the gospel to them, But then we arrived at where we started today in verse 19. But Jews came from there, from Antioch and Iconium, and won over the crowds. They stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. Now just as a little aside about these kind of texts, um, throughout Christian history, these sort of texts have been used to perpetuate really awful things against Jews. And we, as on the whole Gentile Christians, should repent and condemn the anti-Semitic purposes to which these texts have been put. When we read about the Jews in Scripture, um, it's helpful to remember that most of the followers of Jesus at this time were also Jewish. And often we reserve our harshest words for those that are closest to us. And so I think something that's going on in these passages is some group differentiation saying, I am not like those Jews. So I think that take it sometimes with a grain of salt. But aside over, a group of religious leaders have come to shut down the revival that's threatening to break out. And they stone Paul and they leave him for dead. And I'll come back to that in a minute, but I want to begin by unpacking the later part of the passage, which is verse 22. They returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch, strengthening the disciples, encouraging them to remain true to the faith. We must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God, they said. We must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. And now these are words that are not spoken by people who are unacquainted with hardship or unacquainted with suffering. When they describe the kingdom of God, they name the hardships alongside the miraculous and the triumphant. They had learned through experience that the kingdom of God does come through hardship. They had seen the suffering of the church, and they had seen the way in which this suffering actually affected greater spread of the good news of Jesus. They see evidence of the way in which their hardship resulted in seeing the kingdom in a deeper way. But that sounds like a hard word, doesn't it? It's really easy in theory to talk about the kingdom of God coming through hardship. But that way of talking about it doesn't seem very easy when you're the one going through suffering or when you're watching someone you love suffer. 
Doesn't it feel like it's minimizing someone's experience to assure them that the reason for their hardship is so that the kingdom of God might spread? Kate Bowler pithily puts it like this. When someone is drowning, the only thing worse than failing to throw them a life preserver is handing them a reason. In my work as a hospice chaplain, I visit people who are so worn down by the people who have told them over and over again that the reason they're dying is because it's all part of God's plan. Or even worse, God is killing them because he needs another angel in heaven. As a side note, don't ever say that to anyone. It's not comforting. So many of my patients are having trouble grieving what is happening to them because they've been told again and again they didn't need to question God's plan. They've been told it's only happening to them because they didn't have enough faith. Or they've been told that if they would only look at it in the right way, their death is actually a blessing. When you start saying, we must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God, it's really easy to slip into telling people that their suffering doesn't matter. And friends, I want to make really clear that's not what I'm saying this morning. When the disciples in Acts affirmed that they must enter the kingdom of God through hardship, they weren't minimizing the suffering they'd undergone. They were just describing the situation in which they found themselves. They didn't go out to seek martyrdom, but they found themselves in a situation where faithfulness to their call would result in suffering. They didn't impose the suffering on those not called to it. They set out to follow Jesus. They didn't say that it was really all for the best. They named the road they'd chosen to walk no matter the cost. So if I'm not saying that the disciples were setting out to find suffering and call it good, what do I think they were saying when they said, through many hardships they will enter the kingdom of God? And this is the whole point of my sermon today. The kingdom of God comes through hardship, not because those hardships are good, but because in hardship, we find ourselves in solidarity with the suffering Jesus. In hardship, we find ourselves in solidarity with the suffering Jesus. And that's where I want to return to the beginning of the passage with Paul. They stoned Paul and dragged him outside the city, thinking he was dead. Paul, the one who had held the coats for the stoning of Stephen, finds himself in the place of those he persecuted. The executioner finds himself the executed. And maybe that sounds harsh, but people in the ancient world didn't stone someone to hurt them, they did it to kill them. When I read this passage, I wonder what state Paul was in when he was left for dead. Maybe he was just on the precipice of death, but I can't wonder if he actually had died. People in the ancient world knew what death looked like, and I couldn't imagine that people who were angry enough to stone someone would leave until they were sure the job was done. But either way, Paul is left for dead. Paul, a Roman citizen, 
Paul, a privileged religious elite. Paul, the one who had left others for dead himself. It's a radical transformation that ends up with Paul outside the city walls left for dead. The only way it makes sense is if the trajectory of Paul's life had been radically overturned. Paul finds that faithfulness to following Jesus means finding oneself in solidarity alongside those who the world has left for dead. In the downtrodden of the world, and those who the powerful try to curtain off because their lives indict the ease with which we live, in the disinherited, in the forgotten, in the poor. In that place is where we find Jesus. And I think Paul knew that, which is why he allowed himself to be dragged outside the city. He knew that's where he would find his wounded Lord. The hardship through which he is entering the kingdom is not a generic suffering. It's placing himself in solidarity with those whom Jesus loves and who he called blessed. But I think even more importantly than Paul being sent out from the city is that he doesn't do it alone. It's really easy to imagine ourselves as the only ones who really understand our hardship. But Paul is able to pursue this path because he does it surrounded by other disciples. When he's left for dead outside the city, Acts tells us that after the disciples gathered around him, he got up and he went back into the city. In the midst of hardship, Paul finds himself surrounded by the disciples. He found himself held up and brought back to life by the prayer of those with whom he had been walking. The theologian Willie Jennings writes this about Paul's experience. Paul is left for dead, and here we meet more holy work. The disciples are those who surround people left for dead. The disciples are those who surround people left for dead. The disciples know that they must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God because the kingdom of God entails surrounding people left for dead. This is hard and holy work. It's really difficult to see those we love suffer. But in this work, we find ourselves sharing in the death and the resurrection of Jesus. Paul follows Jesus into death and is raised up, surrounded by those whom Jesus loves. He lives in solidarity with the Jesus who still bears the wounds of the cross. The disciples are the kind of people who can embrace hardship because they learn from their time with Jesus what it means to be so faithful to the call of God, the world heaps on these hardships. And in following Jesus in solidarity with those left for dead, they find resurrection. This resurrection isn't a resurrection to some faraway heaven where their pain and suffering is no more. This is a resurrection back to the world where Paul lives, surrounded by death. When he's raised up, he returns to Lystra, the city that had just stoned him. This is a resurrection 
even in the midst of the world of death. And for the record, I do believe there will be this final resurrection in which we are fully face to face with God and pain and suffering will cease. But the kingdom of God we've been looking at in the book of Acts is so much more than that. The kingdom of God is not defeated by these hardships, but it finds Jesus even in the midst of the hardships of life. The kingdom of God that we find in Acts doesn't rely on only a triumphant story. It's not the prosperity gospel where faithfulness is guaranteed to bring wealth and health. It's a kingdom where faithfulness can involve moving even through death. Kate Bowler says that her cancer diagnosis brought an end to her own prosperity gospel. She might not have said she was a proponent of the movement, but she recognized that she thought life would also go a certain way. She did the right things she expected for her life to go right. But in the midst of her life falling apart, she learned something beyond the self-evident fact that sometimes bad things do happen to good people. She writes of her time in the hospital just after her diagnosis. At a time when I should have felt abandoned by God, I was not reduced to ashes. I felt like I was floating, floating on the love and prayers of all those who hummed around me like worker bees, bringing notes and flowers and warm socks and quilts embroidered with words of encouragement. They all came in like priests and mirrored back to me the face of Jesus. The kingdom of God came through hardship for Paul and for Kate because they found a community of wounded people who would surround them and raise them back to life. Raise them back to a life that's not free of suffering and pain, but a life where they walk wounded and together. The disciples in Acts found out that their hardships were part of the work of the kingdom in their life. In the midst of their wounds, they found space for the work of God. Through holding their wounds up to one another, looking at them in the light of Jesus, they found space for the kingdom of God to break in. And though the wounds that they were bearing in Acts were physical ones, I think the message here can apply to other kinds of wounds too. Emotional wounds, spiritual wounds, whatever it is for you. Part of what we aim to do as followers of Jesus is to see the way in which our wounds are opportunities for seeing the face of Jesus. In our church, one of the ways we talk about that is with the language of formational healing one of our core values and practices. I think we're having a sermon series next year on those. But formational healing is focused upon noticing the ways in which we're all shaped by the ways our lives have gone, even back to our first formation in our families. And part of the work of God that we want to pursue together here is seeking healing from this brokenness. Being wounded isn't a source of shame. It's an opportunity for the healing of God. And through that healing of our wounds, we become more able 
to offer ourselves in love for the other. This is the work of God, the kingdom of God, coming through our hardships and our wounds. The disciples, in working through these wounds, come back together as the church, and before Paul and Barnabas leave, they appointed elders for them in each church with prayer and fasting. They entrusted them to the Lord in whom they had come to believe. When we first look at that passage, I think we can see this sort of commissioning as like a sweet, formal ceremony where we all pray together. But entrusting them to the Lord in whom they had come to believe is a frightful proposition because it involves walking in the steps of that Lord. A Lord who wasn't afraid of wounds, who wasn't afraid of hardship. A Lord who works even in the midst of our own woundedness. By entrusting the church to the Lord, Paul and Barnabas trust that the Spirit will continue the work of the wounded Christ there in the midst of them. Paul and Barnabas don't trust that they've figured out every scenario that's going to come up. They don't think that everything's going to go right from now on, but they know how these communities are on the right path. They've taught them to follow Jesus, even when that way leads through hardship. And trusting in this work of God, I think, is where we can come back to the title of Kate Bowler's book, Everything Happens for a Reason and Other Lies I've Loved. Given as a prescription to the one who suffers, Everything happens for a reason is a weight of oppression. It doesn't make space for acknowledging their reality. But there's also a way in which this passage, we can see that everything happens for a reason. There's a way that it's true. The close of this missionary journey, the author of Acts says that Paul and Barnabas called the church together and related all that God had done with them and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. They call the church together to share testimonies and are able to say that the hardships they faced did happen for a reason. It did, in fact, open a door for the further spread of the kingdom by the Spirit. And this is, in my mind, the proper way to talk about the providence of God the control of God of our stories. We can only talk about it in reverse. Looking back, Paul and Barnabas are able to see the way in which their wounds did spread the kingdom of God. But the providence of God is only named in reverse, and even then with the greatest trepidation. In the hardship of our lives, God is there and we meet him. That's where we meet Jesus. In our suffering, we're able to look back and say, we met Jesus there. There, even on our worst day, there is love that can hold us through. The kingdom of God comes through hardship because in hardship, we find ourselves in solidarity with the suffering Jesus and in our hardships, we find Jesus in solidarity with us. I don't have a good reason to tell you about why everything happens. I don't have a reason to hand you that makes complete sense of the suffering that seems to run alongside the disciples every step of the way. 
But I can tell you that for me, even on my hardest days, even in the midst of hardship, I have found the presence of Jesus walking alongside me every step of the way. And that walking with Jesus is part of what it means for the kingdom to come. So now as the worship team comes up, I want to invite you into some questions. I invite you to try them on. Bring them before the Lord and see what he might want to do with you. I encourage you to pray through whichever one speaks to you or if something else is speaking to you. I think that God is here to speak to us in the midst of them. And so just some three questions to consider. Where are you being invited to surround those left for dead? What wounds in your life is God inviting you to see his work in? And where do you need to see the face of Jesus in the midst of your hardship? And so as we worship together, I pray that something about those questions would stir something up in you that you might hear from the Lord about them. Amen.